This is reposted. Every morning, Larry and I dig into a quote or idea that has caught our eye. Our hope is that our chat inspires you to never stop thinking and possibly challenges you in a new way. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash reposted. Thank you for stopping by. Michael Easter is a contributing editor at Editor Men's Health Magazine and columnist for Outside Magazine. He co-founded and co-directs the Public Communications Institute think tank at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, which is, as far as I can see, is his only fault working at UNLV, spoken from a UNR grad. Oh, Lordy, he has written an amazing new book called The Comfort Crisis, Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Healthy, Happy Self. This book is incredible, Michael, and I'm, we could just spend the time talking about how it's changed my life personally, by the way, rucking during this interview. So let's start like this. Anyone who actually reads this book would be compelled to look at their life differently. I'm sure you've been giving speeches on this. I'm sure you give Zoom webinars about this. And I'm sure someone comes up and says, like, I'm going to change my life, then immediately goes home and starts binging Netflix shows. So here's the question. What does it take for someone to actually be compelled to change their life and get out of their comfort zone? Usually I feel like people often have these moments where they get kicked into it outside of their own volition sometimes. Um, hopefully my book is one of those things. They pick that up and they learn something. But okay, here's, here's an example that we can all relate to. The pandemic. All of a sudden, our lives completely radically changed. We had nothing, we couldn't change it. And a lot of people you saw, um, I would say about half of people sort of leaned into comfort. They stayed home, they ate more. But a lot of people had an opposite reaction, right? So you look at the numbers and a lot of people actually went outside more. They started exercising more. They changed something about their life. So it's like, sometimes we get these moments where we have a choice, where we get thrust into an uncomfortable situation and we can either sort of fall back or we can use it as energy to sort of change. So from the feedback you've been getting after this book came out, I could like to echo, I love everything that you say as well. But something I've learned from this show is that people respond to things differently. Like if I have someone yelling in my face saying you suck and you dump a cold bucket of cold water on my head, I'm going to use that as momentum to go forward. But other people might react differently. Have you seen people reacting differently to discomfort and like what drives them? hundred percent. So I have a, I have a guy who uh, is kind of a mentor to me and he said, you know, some people need a kick in the ass. Others need a pat on the back. And, um, I've always been a pat on the back person, uh, both personally, that's what compels me. I don't do well with people sort of yelling at me. So I wrote this book almost as a pat on the back. Cause I do feel like today, when you look at a lot of the, uh, language around like health and fitness and all that kind of stuff, changing your life, a lot of it, especially for men in particular is like coming from Navy SEAL boot camp instructors screaming at you that uh, whatever, you know, and like be tougher, blah, blah. And mine is really, I sort of approached it as like, look, we know we need these things in our lives um, that are often uncomfortable. We need to move more. We probably need to experience some hunger. Sometimes we need to spend more time outside. We need to do a, a ton of other things, right. That often come with a form of discomfort. And I'm trying to tell you, look, like, here's what I did. Uh, I went out into, you know, did this Epic trip in the Arctic for more than a month. And I travel the globe, like learning about all these topics. And I'm hoping that by bringing it to people's attention in a way that is not uh, shaming them about it, because I think sometimes like take exercise, 
when we tell people to exercise, it's often done in a way that makes them feel bad for not exercising. Let me tell you something. People who do exercise are the weird ones. Humans evolved <laughs> for millions of years with all these incentives to never exercise. We had to invent exercise like a hundred years ago to offset like this, this new environment we live in. So I think just the positioning is a little bit different. So your trip to Bhutan to do research on death is, is really just unreal. And here's what I got out of it. People in Bhutan have come to the realization that they will die. They don't know when, but they're going to die. Here in America, we think we're going to die. If it's happening to someone else, we're really uncomfortable about it. And then if it's happening to us personally, we blame the universe for it happening and since, say essentially it's not my fault. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think that in the U.S., we generally don't take it into our life that often. I mean, think about when a loved one dies, what are we told to do? Oh, go take your mind off it. Go do something to take your mind off it, right? Um, so I think we don't, we don't really acknowledge it. And, you know, when I went to Bhutan, I met with this Buddhist leader, and he explained, he lived in the West for a long time. He lived in Atlanta. So he's got like this good perspective on how Americans in particular view life. And he said, you know, you guys live life like it's a checklist and the checklist has some stuff that you need to do before you die. And you think that by hitting the checks on the checklist, whether it's, I got to get married at 25, I got to buy a house at 30, I got to buy a nice car. When I get a promotion, I'll get an even nicer car. We go through this list, right? And we think that getting that next thing on the list is going to be what really fulfills us and makes us happy. But the human brain isn't designed for that. We just go, Oh, I'll be happy when I get that next thing. No, that next thing. Whereas in Bhutan, they go, look, I'm going to die one day. I know this. What are the things that are truly going to make me happy? And this changes their behavior. And you find that they have a better sense of the fact that, you know, it's probably not a Rolex that is going to make you truly happy. It's living in a way where you are more aware and cognizant of your actions and you're more compassionate to others. So you have um, people put themselves in uncomfortable positions. And um, I'm curious, you live on the edge of Las Vegas. I think you said it was a compromise. So your wife could have a shorter commute, but you could still be outside. Is there any version of like, if I put you in downtown Manhattan for a month, would that be an uncomfortable thing that would shake you out of your routine? Or is it more you need to be uncomfortable physiologically and in nature? Uh, I think that would shake me out of my routine. I lived in New York for a little while, uh, for like two years. That's a hectic place. Um, in the book, I argue that, you know, a lot of the things that we are most removed from now are, are these environments and conditions that we evolved in. So you look at like the research on being, spending time in nature, and it is overwhelming that People do well in nature. We become calmer. We become less stressed. Our attention uh, is increased. Our focus is increased. Our creativity is increased. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, and now we spend 95% of our time indoors. We just, we don't get that anymore. Um, so I do think that there's a strong argument for, you know, which I make in the book is like, how do we, how do we integrate these forms of discomfort that we used to have in our lives all the time? that we just have engineered out of them because humans have a drive to always be comfortable, always do the easiest thing and remove challenge from our lives. That used to help us in our past environments. It used to keep us alive, right? But now with the envir environments have tipped and we've essentially become victims of our own success. And so we need to figure out like the modern world is great. All this tech, 
everything is amazing development, but we also need these moments that sort of push back at us and mimic what we used to face in the past. So I've deep dived on your rucking theory. I just loved it so much, but here's the deal, right? I'm an old fart. I can't go to the gym and lift weights like I used to, right? So I've totally bought in this idea of posture, everything that's going along with what you wrote about rucking. I just, it's changed my life in the last two weeks doing it. But how would you convince a millennial that can go to the gym and lift weights and say like, hey man, what you're doing, this exercise, you're doing it the wrong way. You need longer, stronger exercises as opposed to trying to buff out your body, which is once again, a new phenomenon. Right. Yeah. I think there has been this, this general trend where the gym is this sort of sterile, comfortable place where we go to like sculpt our bodies. And, you know, in the past, we never had to think about that. And so in the book, I really think about it as like, what did humans evolve to do physically? What is the physical activity we are most adapted for? When you look at it, it is carrying heavy stuff across long distances and rough terrain. So humans uh, really, you compare us to other animals, we're generally pretty athletically pathetic. We're slow. We're not really that strong. But what we can do is walk on two feet really, really far, and we can carry stuff while doing it. So I went and visited researchers at Harvard that are actually studying this. And, you know, they argue like doing the things that we're most adapted for are what is going to be best for us. You look at like injury rates from, from the type of lifting we do now, and they're kind of, they're pretty high. I mean, I'm not saying that like going to the gym is bad. It's great for you. You should, I do it, but we also need to do these things that I think, um, we were built to do. And that is rucking, carrying weight for long distances, throw some weight in a backpack, wear a weight vest, go outside, go for a walk. That also gets you outside. You're hitting your strength, you're hitting endurance, and you're just ticking off a lot of boxes that we don't tick off anymore. So I guess in the vein of working out, I'm supposed to do a tough mutter, I think in a month. And I'm curious if you have a thought on the rise in popularity of stuff like the tough mutter or the UFC as being a correlation to people not engaging in activity outside because trying to explain to my grandfather why you would do a tough mutter is like kind of a crazy thing but to explain to like he said a millennial is like well yeah that's what people do um do you see any tie to that i think that um look people know that we need to be challenged like we know we thrive on challenges that it benefits our lives and we're trying to figure out how the hell to do that now right? So we've got like tough mutters. That's one way. It's great. It gets you outside, has you uh, sort of linking um, physicality, not only physicality, but you're also having to think your way through that, right? You're having to like navigate these crazy obstacles and crazy terrain, which is something that gyms have totally removed, right? You just get on elliptical and just zone out. Um, so we know we thrive on challenge and we've, we've removed a lot of the challenge from life, and so now it's like, well, how do I get that back in? We're trying to figure out how do I do hard things again? And Tough Mudder is definitely one way that I think we can do that. But your grandfather, probably when he was 20, they were like, your challenge is uh, we're sending you to Utah Beach, right? Like there was war, like people had hard jobs. They were doing hard stuff all the time. And um, so of course it would make no sense to do that for him. He's like, no, that's what we used to have to do in boot camp. That was terrible, right? Right. Our generations are like, we don't really have to do that. So we go searching for stuff. 
Hey, Michael, I promised your people we'd wrap this up in 15 minutes, but I have a thousand questions. So we're going to go lightning round. You just okay. answer these questions in like 20 seconds. All right. Okay. First, give us the 25 3 rule. Okay. So 20 minutes, three times a week in the type of nature that you can find in a city park. Uh, five hours, uh, once a month, at least for once a month in the type of nature that's a little more out there, like a state park. And then three days a year, you should go total backcountry nature, um, spend some time there. And there are massive benefits to each dose. What do you and Steve Jobs have in common? Uh, we both think about our death frequently. <laughs> the, why is the impending Wasatch Front earthquake from your childhood important? Because it, uh, it was high in my mind as a kid. That used to really scare me. I used to just think about it all the time. It was that. I would also think about pirates a lot. I would think about serial killers a lot. Um, all kinds of crime and, and madness consumed my childhood and that, and that damn earthquake. Okay, I got to know this because I was kind of looking you up on social media. The best troll that you've received from putting after you put out this book? Um mostly people who don't read the book and they assume what's in it and they'll be like, well, there are starving people in Africa. And I go, <laughs> okay, well, like, yeah, but you're on Reddit right now. And I wrote the book for you, you know, like you're proving the point of this book by being like, like, this is what you're complaining about. So that type of thing. I know you probably get this all the time, but this book literally radically changed my life. I've been thinking about death every day since I read it. I put on the rucksack every day and gone out for 30 minutes. My, my kids think I'm crazy. I actually bought two different rucks devices because I found one that fit the best. I love oh, yes. it. The book is really outstanding. You should go get it. The Comfort Crisis. Embrace discomfort and reclaim your wild, happy self. Michael, honestly, I want to be your best friend. Can we do that? We can do that. Yeah, consider, consider it done, even though you're the uh, Reno guy. <laughs>